0: And I'm Rye Myers, your Broadway and entertainment BFF, and thank you so much for listening to Live with Rye, the podcast. After launching Live with Rye in the fall of 2020 as a digital live stream talk show on YouTube and in the height of the pandemic, and after literally almost everyone calling my digital talk show your podcast, I figured it was finally time to put these episodes in podcast form. So here you go. These episodes, which you will listen to, are from over the last two years, starting from fall 2020 through the beginning of 2022, so some of these episodes may focus on topics and events that have already occurred. Consider it your official Throwback Thursday podcast, if you will. But my dear friend, that's not all, stay tuned for exclusive new weekly interviews with some of the best and brightest names in the Broadway, pop culture, and entertainment business, because I am your Broadway and entertainment BFF after all, and I have interviewed some of the biggest names in show business from Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony award winners, so you definitely will want to stay tuned to see who I have next. I hope you get value out of this podcast. And so, as they all say before every podcast episode, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to leave a rating and review. But I ask that you please leave a kind review and rating. And listen, if you didn't like an episode, the world does not need more of your negativity, so just don't leave a review then. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and let me know who you'd like to hear. XOXO, Ryan Myers, talk show host, producer, and your Broadway and entertainment BFF. Enjoy the episode. Hey, friends, it's Rye Myers, your Broadway and Entertainment BFF, and you're listening to Live with Rye, the podcast. Listen, if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review so you never miss an episode. And listen, it helps the podcast out so much. So leave a rating and review and download it or subscribe. I'm new to the podcasting game, so whatever you do, review, like it leave a rating and all that good stuff. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel so you never miss an episode. You see all of my interviews that I do and you catch my exclusive Broadway talk show live and in person every week. The only Broadway talk show in all of New York City. It streams live on YouTube so you don't want to miss that. So subscribe to my YouTube channel uh, for more. I am so excited to talk to today's guest, She is someone whose career I've been following for years, and someone that Broadway knows very, very well. And if you're a Broadway fan like I am, you know her very, very well. Please help me welcome my very special guest, Tony nominee, Beth Malone. Hi, Beth. Hi.
1: Hey, how how are are you? you? (laughs) We're going to talk at the exact same time this entire podcast. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun? Let's try it. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. It's not your fault.
0: How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How is it going there,
0: Um, hovering over Central Park like you are? (laughs) It's going well. Thanks. It's going well. Yes. You know, I have to change, I have to make the backdrop fun, you know? So
1: it'd be fun if you turned around and was like, ah, like Superman. And then it
0: looked like you were. (laughs) That would be really. yeah, that would actually be kind of am- <laughs> amazing. And the funny thing is I'm scared of heights. So thankfully this isn't real. Cause like, if you imagine if like there was a, uh, it's like that in that glass, that, that new building that was in Midtown where you look down and you see the. <laughs> yeah, just don't turn around, Rye.
1: Just don't
0: look <laughs> behind you. That's yep. my advice. So exactly. Well, how have you been? And what have you been up to these um, last few months? I mean, I know it's been very busy. You know, Broadway is back. People are returning. What have you been up to?
1: i've been shooting a tv show called city on fire for apple tv and we just wrapped uh yesterday two days ago now wow. and uh yeah so we wrapped season one and uh it will be streaming on apple like in 23 you yeah, 2023 so that's exciting and uh i've been doing um Some other things like a couple of different, you know, I've been doing a lot of TV and stuff since because the thing that happened in the pandemic is uh, auditions went virtual. And so I, Shelly, my wife and I moved to Colorado um, right after the Unsinkable Molly Brown closed abruptly. Mm -hmm. And a few days later, we like packed up and flew home to Colorado where we are from. And we kind of have stayed operating out of there until I booked the show and I kept my apartment in New York. So I still have my apartment. I had a roommate that is now gone. And um, so I moved back into my apartment and started shooting my TV show. And I was like, yay, the world works again. The world is turned back on. It's not broken. And then it's just like, it's not quite back to normal, but um, yeah. So it's been, it's been quite the ride over the last couple of years,
0: hasn't it? It certainly has been and it may not be back to normal, but uh, at least it's functioning and at least it's uh, we're able to at least you're able to perform again and you know, actually um, do TV and theater and all that stuff. That sounds really exciting about City of Fire. Um, I know TV is really big for especially theater actors to get into and to break into have a TV series I know is huge. So that must be super exciting. Was it filmed in New York?
1: Yeah, we shot all around New York. And, um, yeah, it was very exciting. Like, um, I had this little studio in my closet here in Colorado. <laughs> right now, I'm not in there. I was, I'm downstairs in my my wife's um, mother's basement. I'm in my mother-in-law's basement currently <laughs> in Colorado. But, um, you know, I have this little studio, so um, I set my little ring light up and send these auditions off. And and I've booked a lot of things this year. I've gotten to, you know, kind of go all over. I've shot in LA a couple of times, in New Orleans, in Toronto, you know, all because uh, of virtual auditions. It's been, mm-hmm. it's been really, there's been an upside to, to, uh, you know, the casting situation with the pandemic. And if you can do it safely, you know, people keep shooting and, you know, we shot Tick, Tick, Boom during the pandemic. We yeah. shot... Uh, a lot of things. So it's been, it's been uh, yeah, interesting transition for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. And, you know, I'm curious now that you say that with the, you know, I have a lot of actor friends that as well, that, and they talk about, you know, submitting virtually Zoom auditions. I'm curious, how does, how do you feel about that? Do you really enjoy it? Is it tough to not be in that room and have that sort of feedback and energy? Do you enjoy doing the Zoom auditions more? Do you feel like you have more creative freedom? I'm curious what your thoughts are.
1: Uh, um, you know, the, I I feel both ways. It's like, oh, what a giant waste of time. What a this is a day wrecker. You know what I yeah. mean? As soon as you're like, oh gosh, I have to do this thing now, and I was gonna go do this because you're at home living your life, and then instead, you have to remember you're also in the middle of your career. You have to keep you know trying to get work. That's right. the thing. that's been just like, oh, are, am I retired? Oh, I'm not retired. Oh, okay, I still have to do work. Okay, and then um, you know. The thing about self-tapes is there's a skill set that you kind of get good at. Um, You can either improve or not improve. But I found, like, if I'm going to waste a bunch of time doing these things, I want to do it so I get a job out of it. So I figured out, like, oh, I'm going to light myself better. I'm going to do enough takes, however many takes it takes, to get one that I'm happy with. I'm going to learn how to get a good take faster, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And, uh, you know, working helps because you're on a live set and you're doing things and you're working with actors again. And when you go to self-tape, you've got your chops are up, you know, and your skills are more sharp. And I think, you know, work begets work. And right. that's, that's all part of the the whole self-tape thing. It's like, I know how to do this because I was okay. doing it on set yesterday and I'm going to do this now and then I'm going to get a different
0: job. So it's uh, it's good. Well, you look fabulous doing it. I mean, you got a great you got great lighting there. You look fabulous. You're well lit. Okay. So. So,
1: thank you very so much. Got my green light up. <laughs> I was just doing a self tape for something. I am not going to get, but uh, <laughs> you know, you just you do know. it. Any-
0: you do it anyway. Of course, of course. Well, one of the things that you were most recently involved with, and you mentioned it, was the unsinkable Molly Brown, which uh, just released its cast recording on July twenty second, I believe. It was off Broadway prior to the pandemic, and then unfortunately, due to the COVID hitting, it shut down. So the album just released. I've been listening to it all day. It's great. Um, you know, tell us, how did you get involved with this, uh, production of Unsinkable Molly Brown before it, it closed down?
1: Um, well, I auditioned for it. I auditioned for it years ago. Um, and, and I've done it. Uh, this was my third installation of this particular, uh, uh, it is, it's a, a revive revisal. They call Mm -hmm. it a revisal because it's a revival, but it's always, it's also a massive revision of the script um, written by Dick Scanlon. And I got involved with it. My friend, Heather Lee, um, she always thought I should play the part. And, you know, you might remember Heather Lee from the Bernadette gypsy. She was um, Tessie Tura. She's my really, really good friend in LA. And she's always like, you got to play Molly Brown. Nobody does that show. They should do it for you because she saw me do Annie, get your gun. Um, and I do these scrappy leading lady, you know, pretty well. I I, I'm, I like yes. the old timey timey um, leading lady where I can sort of infuse it with like guts and and some, you know, a uh, little bit of muscle. Uh, and, and that's what I did with Annie Get Your Gun and also like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and things like that. And she was like, you got to play Molly Brown. So when this audition notice came up. Uh, she's the one who was like, "You got to get seen for this." So I did. I went in and uh, I won the role, and it was it was um, just like a blast. The first place we did it was Denver, Colorado, where I am from. I'm from Castle Rock, just like south of Denver, and so it was fun to be able to be in my hometown. Mm-hmm. Do it for, like people I went to high school with, my high school drama teacher came. You know, like oh, that's awesome. It was amazing, you know, and to be home and do it. And then we did it at the Muni a few years later. And uh, that was huge. If you've ever been to the Muni, it's like 300 feet across that stage. So just like <sighs> everything expanded. And Mark Kudish was my was my J.J. Brown. That was a lot of fun. It oh, was like 100 degrees, though, like at curtain, like places. And you're like, oh, my God. And you have to go out and pretend like it's cold. You pretend like it's Colorado and you're just sweating buckets. It was unbelievable (laughs) and then you know we did this transfer with the transport group to lower Manhattan and the Abrams Art Center and we did the most lovely lovely off-Broadway size rendition of this show it was gorgeous the scenic and and David Domane was my JJ and we just had the best cast and And it was just like, it was cooking right along. And and Kathleen Marshall had done some beautiful work. um, And um, then, then, you know, it all went to hell. So
0: there you go. (laughs) Well, did it, 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 I mean, is there talk of it coming back? Or, you know, a lot of these... I don't think so. I don't
1: don't think it's going to transfer. I just think, I mean, it's possible, but I don't think it's going to, I think. But this cast album is going to stand for... All time, and that you know, is. it'll it'll be a record of it. I think there's a recording of it. Like someone made a, someone made a video recording of it. Um, somewhere that's floating around, but
0: yeah. Well, at least as you said, you have the the we have the recording, and I believe the recording was done in December, right? Of 2021. Yep.
1: Yes. Yeah, we got together. We hadn't seen each other in a long time, and we were still masked, but we were in the same room. And we had to relearn the music because it had been so long. We had to mm-hmm. rehearse it, and that was wild. So that, and then uh, you know, we got to be together for a whole day and do this music, and it was so joyful. And now it, it it'll be something that that we can listen to forever, which will be amazing. And awesome. you know, whoever does the new version of Molly Brown, mm-hmm. if it gets done. Um, by other places and other people, which hopefully it will, because it's a really good uh, revision. Um, They'll have this resource.
0: Yeah, well, they certainly will. And it is so good. Um, What did you like most about playing the role of Molly Brown? And did you learn anything about her that you found fascinating?
1: Molly Brown was a fascinating human being. She really was like this, this, um, this version of her, in our production is more uh honest and detailed about like what an activist she was and what an incredible lifelong learner she was. She ended up speaking a ton of languages. Do you know she stayed on the Titanic for three days? Oh, she stayed on the Carpathia for three days when they docked in New York to help people who were not English speakers find the right place to go. Do you know she bought out the um the Plaza Hotel for titanic survivors to go stay in for the first week when they were in new york city she bought out the plaza yeah uh so many things that were on the titanic that were lost uh that are at the bottom of the ocean are um you know things she was bringing back for the denver history museum like uh, artifacts and things that went down with the ship like there's so many interesting things about her she she started the Dumb Friends League here in Denver, which ended up being the ASPCA, like um, um, f- dog, dog and dog and cat rescue. She started. Mm. She started that. Wow. Yeah, she separated child children's courts from adult courts. So when you when you got arrested and you were twelve, you used to have to go to prison with the grownups. Oh my god! Like like it helped separate. You know. Yeah, uh, that. So yeah, she's she was something else. She was a force of nature and never quit, never stopped learning. When she died, she was 60 years old studying acting at the Barbizon Acting School in Manhattan. She had moved wow. to New York City at the age of 60 to learn how to act.
0: <laughs> that is incredible. And I yeah, mean, remember- she broke and died, you know, at 60. I mean, so wow. tragic. Yeah, so tragic, but I feel, feel like wasn't I mean at that time, I feel like that was wasn't that sort of normal? They didn't live that long back then. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, she but, had a big life, I mean, a huge life. And for everything that she stood for back in those days, I mean, especially that 1912 era when, you know, I mean, unfortunately, you know, women had no rights and there was no kids and kids didn't have rights. The fact that she was so outspoken, she must have Correct really for Congress. been. A she really
1: this. I mean, well, she was, she
0: twice oh, no. she ran for Congress. Wow. She yeah. must have. She was a true, I mean, visionary, and I'm sure people probably thought she was a rebel rouser, but talk about a true visionary and a true pioneer of our time. I mean, I know she also um, was a strong supporter and advocate of, as I said, the rights of women, education and literacy for children, and of course, um, bravery on the Titanic, which was just what she's mostly known for. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, she really was all of that and more, you know, Mm -hmm. she was was, you know, she wasn't a perfect person. She was flawed. She definitely liked to spend her money. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the marriage did not last, you know, even though it's a musical and you want to believe that that was a lifelong um, marriage. It wasn't. But they did continue to write letters to each other throughout their lives. So I do believe they were um, soulmates and they I think they were um, each other's great love of life but they just were very different people. He wanted to stay in Colorado. He wanted to stay in Leadville, Colorado, not even Denver. Denver was too racy for him. He was like, I want to go back to the mountains. He liked his cabin. You know, he was was sort of like a rustic guy who she met and married, and she was a very worldly person at heart. And then given the resources, she just exploded onto the world, you know, traveled all over the world learning Uh all these languages. And, oh, it's just a
0: fascinating person. Did you learn anything or take anything from because I think Kathy Bates played that role in the Titanic movie? I believe her role or it was based on sort of Molly no, Brown. She played, yeah, she played she played Margaret Tobin yeah.
1: Brown in that. Yeah. yeah and Margaret. there was definitely like there is there is historical um evidence that she was traveling. Um she was supposed to be traveling with her daughter, but her daughter decided yeah. to stay in Paris. So yeah. she she might have had, like, she had this, the clothes with her for the Titanic. Mm-hmm. So she gave it to, I think that was all kind of, like, um, fabricated. And that's, it's just, it's good storytelling. But she definitely was um, uh, not really accepted by the posh society people. Like, uh, she, she, you know, um, she she definitely was um, sort of a, a pariah. In, in that set because they were just very snobby and she was new money. She didn't mm-hmm. play by the rules. And uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of
0: uh there's a yeah. lot of truth to that. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, we see that even with talk about like the new money and the snobbery. I don't know if you've ever watched the Gilded Age. Um, oh Yeah. But uh, that that that's real big in that too, you know, the people in the high society. But like, we don't like this person because they're new money and this is old money. And even though they're wealthy too, we don't talk to them. Like it, that we, we
1: thought- storyline is very very much based on the Molly Brown, the Mar- Molly Brown storyline. That wow. that story that Carrie Coombs is is uh, playing out. That that is very mm. borrowed from the whole Molly Brown uh, story. Wow yeah and they all went to um Newport uh, Rhode Island
0: mm-hmm.
1: that that na- that neighborhood in Newport The, the Browns right. had a home there oh
0: my they gosh. definitely
1: had a home on that particular street that was the thing wow. to do. Um, that era was very specific of what the rules were and who you had to be um, if you were if you were in if you were going to be accepted in in society.
0: Wow. And yeah. how did you how did you bring your own take to um, the role in this new adaptation?
1: Well, I am a Colorado girl, so yeah. I uh, I grew up in the mountains myself. And, um, you know, when you when you are uh, a person who is comfortable um, doing hands on things like skills, like you don't wait for someone to bring the wood in for you or, or snap the the fire. So I tried to put a lot of those just, um, life skill, uh, actions onto the stage. So people could see like these, um, these mountain women are hardy and tough and they're survivors and they don't, you don't have time for, it, it's like a no bullshit sort of thing. It's like you, right. you got to show up with, with some skills. And, uh, that was, that was my, uh, that's how I, you know, tried to influence the character and how she, how she moved to the world and how she spoke and how, uh, you know, how she saw every opportunity as, um, an an opportunity, you know, Mm -hmm. she saw every day as an opportunity to, um, to make things better. She never was a person who would see a problem and be like, "Well, that that's that's tough." She would be like, "How do we fix it?" That's a what? that's the kind of person she was, and I, I really admire that.
0: It sounds like we need more Motley Browns in this world. I mean, that's we could what... all
1: take a page out of that book. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and it's not even that hard. It's like you can start with one little thing that you can change. If you see one little injustice and you think I can change that, that's that's, that's what I want to do. For me. That. My, my Molly Brown mission and the way we, we did our show was we did a zero plastic production, which meant no single-use plastic containers, no water bottles um, will be provided by the production. You know that that case of plastic water bottles they always have for you mm-hmm. on day one of those? Nope, we're not going to have that in our show. And every day we're going to provide water. You have to show up with your own um, bottle. And we did it. We did a zero plastic production. Um, and we were very proud of that.
0: That's incredible. What a great, um, what a great idea. And I'm glad that it stuck with that as well.
1: Yeah. I'd like to get plastics out of the entire Broadway industry. That is what I would like to do before I die.
0: That is, so I'm, are you part, are you from, then you're familiar with the Broadway green Alliance and yes. Uh,
1: yes. I am um, Molly's uh, her name's Molly. Yeah. Yes, She's my friend. And, uh, Yeah, we're we're talking about how to make this happen, because if you go to BAM, if you go out to Brooklyn at BAM Mm -hmm. and you walk to the concession stand and you get a bottle of water, they're going to hand you a cardboard container of water, which is delicious and compostable and does not put plastics into our oceans.
0: That's, that's a very true and good point. And, you know, cause you look at the concessions too. I mean, that's also part of it is, you know, I mean the actors and stuff, but also the audience. And so there's so many, like they get water bottles and stuff like that. How do they, now they can do, they could do something like that with the cardboard water bottles. I think I've seen them. They're like the box waters or something.
1: Yeah, They're great. They taste great. They're lined with a little like wax liner. And so the water is beautifully preserved and tastes just wonderful. And um, it's easy to do. And we yeah. should be the ones. Our industry, the one we love, the one we love, Broadway, should be yeah. the right thing. So I feel like this is uh, it's going to happen.
0: Let us hope. Let us hope. So you've, you st uh, starred in the most recent 2018 Tony Award-winning revival of Angels in America, which also starred Andrew Garfield, Nathan Lane. You played the angel in that. Um, what did being in that show mean to you? I just have to say that show changed my life. It was such a show that was so groundbreaking. I credit that show with really kickstarting my love of watching plays. I've always been a musical person, and after seeing Angels, both parts, I saw it on Pride Weekend in twenty, I think eighteen, and then I saw it on closing night, um, the second part on closing night. And watching that show got me so excited for plays. I have been a big play person ever since. Then, obviously, you know, the inheritance was you know, a year or so after that. But I saw so many plays after that and really credit that with giving my love of plays. But it was, as a gay man, it was such a powerful, powerful show. So what did being in that show mean to you? Oh, gosh. It was like church.
1: Yeah. the language. Having that perfect script in your ear every day. Like uh-huh. it, you got to hear that language every day, those speeches over and over and over. And those incredible, incredible actors um, bringing those characters to life and then to be on stage with them and 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 uh, to be able to be a part of that. It was unbelievable. I was the one who pursued it. I was like, I want this. I knew they were casting the angel and I pursued it. I was like, this I cannot think of a better way to spend my life than trying to get as good as it's going to take me to be, to get into this show with these people that could happen. Then my life is made in it. And it was, it was just unbelievable. Um, incredibly challenging physically, like that stuff we did with the angel and, um, all of those beautiful moving uh, movement actors that were, um, just like at the height of their careers, these be these incredibly talented people, and so like the culmination of that kind of puppetry. Like I loved what Marianne did with Warhorse and and the the horses and the puppets. So like that that team of people came to make the angel come to life with those wings.
0: Wow! Um, yeah,
1: with Andrew on that stage and Nathan Lane to be bowing in a line with Nathan Lane. Um, it was uh, unbelievable. Um, and to hear to hear those those people work, but at the same time, I have to say, it was horrible. It was exhausting. It was grueling. It was cruel. It is human beings are not made to do. It was like a Jersey Kratowski weekend, you know, like how Jersey Kratowski. Yep this acting teacher who used to just like make you stay up for 24 hours and 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 torch and make you march in place while doing your speeches and just like break you down and break you down so that that's what Angels in America did. You couldn't even act by the end of it. You just had to survive. Your acting was just basic survival. You're getting out there. You're saying the lines. And that is really what made that place so Raw was that people were just trying to survive on stage, like what Andrew Garfield put himself through every night. I wow. just—it was god awful to watch, but yeah,
0: it's gorgeous,
1: gorgeous, gorgeous.
0: I mean, I, I, I—no wonder why. I believe he won that year too. I believe he won the Tony. He I did. Think? Yeah, yeah he did. I mean, and
1: we won Revival too, and
0: you won Revival, rightfully so. I mean, I could not get over what you put yourself through, but Andrew, with everyone on that stage, I mean, and for me, I mean, how did you brace yourself for these two show days where you were going for a show literally for close to seven hours? I mean, it was two parts. For those who don't know, it's a, it's a, a show in two parts. I believe each is about three and a half hours. I think one is four hours. It's a seven hour show total. So, you know, some nights they would be doing, some days they'd be doing, you know, the first part in the afternoon and the second part at night it's a seven hour day. So, I mean, how did you you know, brace yourself for that? And I mean, did it, do you think it helped you become an even better performer?
1: Yeah, it definitely, line? it definitely, um, it's like Chinese opera, you know, how they train those kids within mm-hmm. an inch of their lives. That's what we felt like. We were just like eat, sleep, show, eat, sleep, show. It's just like, and then you're just spending so much time with these people. You're in this building with them and just not seeing the light of day. Um, and, uh, You know, napping where you can, napping on the floor, eating some food, warming up at 1030 at night. Like when you when perestroika would happen at the end uh, of the day. I will have had the entire like the second part of the show, I only have like a little part. I I don't remember what it was. The nurse comes in or something and then you turn back into the angel. So you're doing all these crazy costume changes in the middle of you're getting the makeup on, you're getting the makeup off. And then, you know, when the angel wrestles, prior wrestles the angel late, late at night, it's happening at about 11 p.m. So yeah. you wake up from your nap, you start warming up. You start warming up your body like you're going to run a marathon at 1030 at night. Instead of making a nice cup of tea and watching some Netflix and going to bed, <laughs> you're warming up to wrestle fire, <laughs> And it was unbelievable what your body can do, what your body is capable of. It's sort of fascinating. It's like all of it is sort of like, huh, I guess, you know, you you don't never know what you can do until you have to do it. And then you're doing it. You're like, I guess we can do this. I guess we can.
0: Well, yeah, yes, you can. And as I said, I mean, it was, I mean, the story, but also you all just were so captivating. I remember, I mean, I've seen so many shows. And at that point, I've seen so many Broadway shows, but I felt like it was my first sort of Broadway experience all over again, because I was Zoned in, I knew, and I'm a terrible old gay man. I should have known more about Angels in America prior to seeing it. I didn't, I knew about Angels in America, I didn't know the show, and it pulled at me every which way. But just watching the you, all of you, I mean, I was so honed in, so focused, it was just breathtaking. And then to be there on closing night, um, uh, to see that final performance was just, That's I mean, incredible. it was. Yeah, that was really that was really special. Yeah, Yeah. it was so special. I I mean, do you have any special memories um, from that show, or one that sticks out particular um, that you can remember? No, from well, from Angels in general. Angels in general. Oh, uh, closing night, whatever. Man,
1: I don't know. I just think the warm ups on stage before, like the whole cast, it required you to sort of like become your your best like graduate student self again. It required nice. you to warm up vocally and physically and, um, you know, do a, do a fight call. We had to do a fight call, you know, and, and, um, you know, it just, it was a, it was a group effort. It wasn't like, I'm going to go do my show. It was mm-hmm. we were also reliant on each other that we had to keep checking in and keep checking in, um, you know, keep doing those lifts, keep doing those wrestles and keep, you know, and we never quit trying to make it better and trying to make it, you know, we had to fly, you know, that moment where the angel flies and she hasn't really flown with with, with gear um, the entire show. Until until she does. And then it's it takes your breath away. It surprises the audience when you shoot up into the proscenium after the whole night of being like hand handled by humans. And then and then all of a sudden you're airborne. It was it was so shocking to people. It was so wonderful to have that um, that shock coming at you. My favorite moment of that whole weird experience, though, was that weird little scene where I was the Mormon realtor. We went yes. there with Susan. Well, okay, I'll tell you one thing about Susan Brown. Susan Brown, who played um, all the older women and men, um, mm-hmm. she she plays the Mormon mom and stuff. And uh, she, you know, the angel has to kiss her when she's in the hospital with Prior. She's brought up Pryor to the emergency room in, in Perestroika. It's just gut-wrenching. It's awful. It's heart, heart-rending. And um, she's making a big change in her life. Her life is just being, um, I love that storyline of that mother because she is, you think you know what she is. And she says, you don't know me. Don't you judge me. And and I won't judge you, she says to Pryor. And so they decide not to judge each other, which is so beautiful. And at one point, the angel comes and grabs her face and plants a big kiss on her and gives her like a sexual experience with that kiss. And Susan Brown said to me, "Mal," and she's from the UK, so she says, "No, you snog me properly. You snog snog me properly. That means don't do a stage kiss, Malone. You bring it. You bring me, bring me the full angel kiss experience. Snog me properly." I like I went home and I was like, "I I had to snog her properly, Rochelle, to my wife."
0: It was like, okay. That's amazing. I, wow, I, okay, that's, that's incredible. Love, love, love that. Um. Well, you know, you're also really well known for being in Fun Home, which earned you your Tony nomination. I know that show is so near and dear to your heart. How does it feel to still know that that show is being performed throughout the country and, you know, regional theaters are doing it. It's being done, I think also all over the world, the impact that it's had on people and on musical theater, a show that's so beautiful, simple, but also so complex too. And it's had such this effect on, on the musical theater world.
1: Yeah, it's a mystery. That show works in such a mysterious way, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're just like a broken puddle of tears at the end of it. And you're like, why am I weeping? Um, it, it It's such a beautiful show. And the fact that it goes to places like, Kentucky and, you know, St. Louis, you know, I love that. I love that it gets done regionally. I love when I hear from people who are doing it and I I get all these messages from people are like, hey, we're the cast of like, you know, Florida, fun home. If you could give us a little like video shout out would be so awesome. And I always try to do that because um, I love that it's getting done. And I feel a solidarity with the people who are in the middle of doing fun home. Cause it's not an easy show to do. It's not, right. it, it requires some, some kind of like emotional, uh, cost. There's a cost yeah. to doing it. Sort of like, uh, Angels of America, definitely both, both of those cost you something to do, but also like fortify you in a, in a way, um, so, yeah, it was a beautiful journey, that that fun home journey. And um, when I think back on it, I think how impossible the whole thing seems. You know, it's just yeah. uh, God, Obama was our president. Thank God things were happening mm-hmm. that were bringing us forward during that period. Um, because it certainly feels like we've taken several steps back now and we're in danger of having all of it go away for a time, but it's cyclical and it will come back. But um, my God, we just thought we were so joyous back then, thinking, "Yes, wow, marriage equality and you know, universal health care passed, and all these things happened while we were doing it. That yeah. seemed like the world was finally just becoming this equitable place." And it was really Mm -hmm. like a new day. I felt like, gosh, it's a really I'm so happy I live long enough to see this day. And it's like, oh, it's it's not permanent. Oh, it's gone. Oh, we have to fight back. for it. We have to fight for it again. Okay, then.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that had that had to be special that that happened while you were in Fun Home. I mean, um, and it, it was a different you almost look at it and it's like it's the you know, it's it's it was such a good time and you look and you look back. I mean, even even prior to the pandemic, just like it was such a different time on Broadway and in the world. And you just sort of look at it and you say, wow, like how things changed." But especially that time period, you're like, wow, so, so much good was happening. And at the time, maybe we didn't realize how good it was or, you know, just how good the things were. But, um, you know, it's it, how, how fascinating that, you know, Fun Home was on and we had these important things like that happen. It, you know, that was that was really powerful.
1: It was, it was a moment in history. We like definitely rode a wave of like the society was matching, matching us. Like it was really propelling the story. And then like, uh, you know, there were were activist uh, moments the whole show could take. Mm -hmm. Um, We went down and, you know, when, when Orlando, uh, when the Pulse nightclub was shot up, we went down there and performed it and raised a bunch of money. And, you know, yeah, the College of Charleston withdrew funding for incoming freshmen being assigned Fun Home, the graphic novel. So they were like, "If this is going to be assigned reading, we will withdraw the exact amount of money that it takes to buy those books." So we went down there with our show, and we raised five times that much money. Um, yeah, we're like, "So here's your here's your Fun Home money, guys." Yes. Uh, yeah, it's just it was like a, it was a terrifying sort of like. Uh, premonition of of what was to come, you know, a couple of things. Oh, like seismic activity underneath this peaceful utopia we've created. And it was like, oh something is brewing and yes. And then it's now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well as we finish up here, what advice would you give to performers in current day um, that are pursuing this craft of acting? What would be your advice um, as we sort of enter this new time of performing? You know, you've done it all. You're doing TV, you've done theater. So what would your advice be? I always like to ask people that um, to share that, to share their advice.
1: I just like follow, follow the things that really, really light you up. Um, Those are the things that make you um, unique and Mm -hmm. really lean into those, those things that bring out your own, um, specialness because even if it seems weird or doesn't seem very commercial, the world will catch up. You know, as like Strange Loop has proven and Fun Home has proven, and some other things, like sometimes you just have to keep doing you. And if it doesn't seem like people can handle it, um, just don't let them change you, let them change.
0: Yeah. Exactly. You are so right. And before we finish, is there any final things, anything that I didn't touch on that you um, wanted to say or plug or anything? uh... Uh, Let's see. Oh, I'm writing a musical. I'm writing a musical um, with
1: the Indigo. Um, Emily Sayers of the Indigo Girls and I are writing a Cyrano de Bergerac adaptation, Um, a lesbian Cyrano with uh, original music by Emily. And it's called Star Strict. So just keep an eye out for that. And that's, that's it's going to be thrilling. It's going to be beautiful. And uh, that's about it.
0: We love the Indigo Girls. I mean, that's going to be great. Yes. How, how cool. I will definitely keep my eye out for that. And I'm sure everybody else uh, will as well. And if you all want, you can get uh, The unsingable Molly Brown Off-Broadway Cast Recording with Beth Malone, that fabulous cast. You can stream it wherever you stream um, your music, or you can get it through Broadway Records, which uh, helped to produce it. You can get it on their website. And also, I think it comes in a physical copy as well. That was released on July 22nd. I definitely and highly recommend you listen to it. It's a great album. Um, I didn't know much about the show and listening to the album. It really made me love it. And uh, it's n- cool to hear. I've heard a few of the songs, prior on, you know, Sirius XM, the old version from the 60s. So it's nice to hear it current and updated. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I'm I'm very, very excited. I hope you all will get a, uh, we'll, we'll listen to it for sure. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you, Beth, for chatting with me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Hi friend, it's Rye Myers, your Broadway and Entertainment BFF. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Live with Rye, the podcast. I hope you got value out of it. Hey, do me a big favor download this episode and make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also leave me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more five-star ratings and review that I have, the better this podcast does. So I need your help and support. So make sure you leave that five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcast. And hey, if you want to watch this episode or all my other podcast episodes in video form, you can click the link in the show notes to go to my YouTube channel where you can see all of these episodes in video form. It's really, really cool. So make sure you head over there to watch this in full video form as well. Well, thank you so much for watching. And I will see you next Thursday for another episode of Live with Ry the podcast. Make sure you keep it locked here for all episodes of Live with Ry the podcast. Thanks so much and have a great night.